0: Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. WDAF,
1: Kansas City.
0: Dan Henry, WDAF Local News at 11, the outlook for Kansas City cool. One party was fatally shot tonight in the armed robbery of a service station at 21st and Indiana in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City detectives are investigating and withholding the name of the victim pending notification of next of kin. Preliminary reports indicate there may have been no money taken in the holdup attempt.
2: News of the hour on the hour from American Information Radio. This is Richard Wall from Los Angeles, and at this hour... President Nixon says he's given Congress and the public all relevant evidence on Watergate and related issues. And in Phoenix, Arizona tonight, the president told a Republican rally...
1: The time has come to get Watergate behind us and get on with the business of America.
2: The time has come... And the Congress to devote their full attention to what you, the people of Arizona and America, think are of your great concerns. President Nixon was warmly received by the GOP crowd. In a broadcast taped in Phoenix earlier, Democratic Congressman Morris Udall of Arizona criticized the White House for sending transcripts rather than tapes to the House impeachment inquiry. That either the President has committed impeachable offenses and should be tried and removed from office, or he hasn't. And every day that goes by without delivery of all the evidence to Congress and to the special prosecutor drags this process out and hurts this country. Congressman Udall is the featured speaker at the Democrats' counter-rally in Phoenix tonight. The vice president on the transcripts. that story coming up. Paper's full of those women again. They say they don't have equal opportunity. Ridiculous. I don't know, Bob.
3: I'm beginning to see they may have something there.
1: What do you mean? Your daughter Mary Jean's doing all right, isn't she? Oh, yeah, just great.
3: She's finishing college with almost a straight-A average. Cost me 15,000 bucks. Hey, she wants a job in publishing. Can I send her to see you? Hmm, sure. I was glad to have a bright, pretty girl like Mary Jean around. We'll start her in the typing pool. Typing pool? Good college, great grades, and a $15,000 diploma so she can be a typist? If she were a young man... Would you say the same thing?
4: Let's stop neglecting one of the greatest untapped resources we have, the young women of our country. They deserve the same breaks as young male graduates who often move into executive training jobs straight out of college. Stereotyping women constantly as office workers only is just not fair. Woman power, it's much too good to waste. This message sponsored by the now Legal Defense and Education Fund.
2: Vice President Gerald Ford has outlined his impressions of the transcripts released in answer to the House Judiciary Committee subpoena for tapes for the impeachment investigation. Correspondent Bill Zimmerman reports from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina.
1: The Vice President told a news conference here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina that he has been disappointed at some of the talk and harsh language indicated by the edited White House transcripts. said, Ford, you can't help but be a little disappointed in what you've seen and read. But overall, the vice president said he still believes President Nixon is innocent of Watergate and its cover-up. Bill Zimmerman, ABC News, with the vice president in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina.
2: State tax officials in Sacramento say President Nixon has paid more than $5,000 in back taxes, interest, and penalties here in California. Senator Edward Kennedy says he disagrees with critics who say President Nixon might give away too much on nuclear arms limitation with the Soviets to draw attention from Watergate. Kennedy says the president should make a Moscow trip this summer. U.S. officials with Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in Damascus say there was some progress toward a disengagement agreement with Israel in Kissinger's talks with Syrian President Hafez Assad. But Reuter quotes sources in Damascus as saying there was no agreement by Assad and Kissinger on any point. In San Francisco, the FBI says it's believed that Patricia Hearst stayed in the Symbionese Liberation Army apartment raided last night. The FBI says the SLA apparently pulled out of the apartment about a week ago. Three men have been arraigned in San Francisco on murder charges in the zebra killings. Four others arrested in the zebra case were released for lack of evidence. Atomic Energy Commission officials say a cloud of radioactive gas has drifted off the South Carolina coast. The tritium gas was accidentally released from the AEC Savannah River plant. This is Information Radio News. From the Kurt Murr Sports Desk,
0: the Kansas City Royals will be hosting the Yankees tomorrow and Sunday. Pistol Pete Maravich has signed with the NBA's new franchise in New Orleans. Kansas City's Tommy Watson is tied with Bruce Crampton in third place in the Byron Nelson Golf Classic in Dallas after the second round. And 23 horses are set to run tomorrow in the largest field yet in the Kentucky Derby. The Kansas City Outlook Fair and colder tonight with a chance for scattered light frost in low lying areas, the low in the upper 30s generally, sunny and warmer tomorrow with a high near 70. Dan Henry, WDAF News.
5: Street
3: Theater presents.
6: E.G. Marshall, welcome to another hour of mystery and suspense, to a terrifying battle of wits. Our play poses a dilemma you have never faced, or are likely to face, in your lifetime. Whether to commit the murder in your heart when your mind tells you to restrain yourself, listen to what happened to one man, Thomas Drake, who did face that dilemma and what he did about it. Professor Mallory, if you're a friend of Emory's, you've got to tell him to stay away from my wife. <laughs> really now, Drake, I, I I don't like to interfere in the personal life of faculty. You members. must. I, you must tell him, or I won't be responsible. I, I don't want to kill him, but I don't trust myself. Come now, Drake, sensible people don't solve their marital problems like that. With murder.
3: <laughs> Our mystery drama,
6: Under Grave Suspicion, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Hank Warner
3: and stars Ralph Bell. It is sponsored in part by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. And by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. I'll be back
1: shortly with Act One. You've seen the Budweiser commercials on television, and maybe you've wondered how long people have been putting that famous Bud label on things. Well, not as long as the Brewers of Bud have been putting things on the label. Things like a list of Bud's most important ingredients. Quote, brewed by our original process from the choicest hops, rice, and best barley malt. And things like the following statement. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer which costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beechwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and a drinkability you will find in no other beer at any price. Unquote. Yes, brewing beer right does make a difference. Read the Bud label. Taste the king of beers. And you'll agree, when you say Budweiser, you've said it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis.
6: Mm. Hey, we're the Action Corps. See, we contribute more.
5: T's for the teamwork of our crew. our right, ideals are high. Oh, oughtn't you apply? Up. Means it's now that we need you. A, C, D.
1: Could go on all day. Oh, here's ah. volunteers
2: are needed right away. Action is VISTA, the Peace Corps, RSVP, SCORE, and other volunteer programs that are helping people to help themselves. If you're trained in a skill or just have a little love to share, Action needs you.
5: Bah, 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 bah.
6: Get into action. Oh,
1: yeah. This is the public service of this station and the Advertising Council.
6: Have you ever returned home late one night and listened in the still darkness, tense and trembling, hoping and praying that you would not hear the whispered passions of your wife and the stranger. Fearful that you could not, would not control a blinding fury to kill. That man getting out of the car on that dark dead-end road on the windswept bluff overlooking the desolate Long Island Sound Beach. Hurrying by
3: cloud-veiled moonlight down the winding footpath through the scrub pines and brush to his isolated cottage is Thomas Drake, despondent, depressed.
6: I should have telephoned, given her some warning that I'd be home a night earlier. But deep down I had the feeling that I still couldn't trust her. And I had to find out. I hurried towards the cottage, wondering why there were no lights on wondering whether she was asleep, alone, or with. I walked around from the back of the house, across the gravel mound, toward the waterside port steps, not caring whether the crunch of my footsteps could be heard inside. The only other sound was my pounding heart, and the surf washing the loose gravel off the burn. The half-moon slipped behind a bank of black clouds, and in the darkness, I tripped over the shovel, left lying on the gravel. I kicked it away. I went up the porch steps to the front door. I tried it. It was not locked. And I stepped inside and listened. I called out, Marianne. The bedroom door was closed. I opened the door. I stabbed at the light, war switch. The ceiling flooded. Uh, an empty made up bed. I went to the kitchen. Turned on the light. It was swept and tidy. The counter of the sink. The stovetop bare and dry. Not a trace of food particles. No lingering cooking odors. The dish mop, dish towel, bone dry. I needed a drink to calm down. I reached for the bottle of bourbon in the kitchen cabinet. Poured myself a stiff one, wondering where she was. The drink only added fuel to my slow burn. I flushed with waves of anger. I had to get out in the air to think. I put out the house lights carry the bottle and the glass to the porch, and settle down to wait. The cool, onshore wind on my face. The moon playing hide-and-seek with the dark clouds. The lights of Connecticut blinking across ten miles of black water. The old field light alternating beams of green and red. It was restful. But as I nursed the bourbon... I couldn't altogether get her out of my mind. My thoughts wandering back in time, wondering if she'd left me or would once again, like the first time before we were married and were living together in my apartment on Manhattan's swingy east side. Two modern, sensible singles willing to give it a try. I had a job then. Good job. I was a vice president with electronics engineering. I got home that night. It was Friday night, about eight o'clock. And as I let myself in...
4: Yes, yes, dear.
6: I heard her talking on the phone.
4: Come on up, Jack. Oh, ask the doorman to hold a cab. He just got home.
6: Well, who was that, Jack Harrison?
4: Of course. Who else...
6: You know, I'm getting tired of his hanging around. Why did you tell him to stop calling you?
4: He didn't. I called him. You look so surprised, Thomas. You don't have the time anymore for anything but dear old electronics engineering. You did phone me. You wouldn't be home for dinner, so I called him. There's a movie I want to see. That's the third time this week. Oh, I didn't know you were counting, darling. Darling.
6: waited that night, watching television, dozing fitfully, my mind going back to the smiles and looks they had exchanged as they left. I could see them after the movies going to the purple camellia for nightcaps and the wild rock of the patting cougars, and then sense a stimulated bodies pulsating with savage beats to spend the night with him. I was awakened from my sleep in the chair by the buzzing TV set. It was four o'clock. I fought off the idea of phoning her at Harrison's apartment. I had no one but myself to blame. We had agreed, like two sensible moderns, that there'd be no strings, that we'd be free to live our own lives. And for the first time, I admitted to myself... I didn't want that freedom. By 10 o'clock that morning, I couldn't stand it. I phoned Harrison's apartment. There was no answer. I went down to the lobby reception desk to get the mail. It hadn't arrived yet. But the clerk handed me an unstamped envelope, my name and apartment number on it, in Mary Ann's handwriting. I tore it open.
4: Eared? I'm sorry. I think it would be best for both of us to call it
6: quits. I'm going away. There was no date on the plain white notepaper. No imprint of name and address, no forwarding address. Just signed, Marianne. I refused to believe it. I hurried right back up to the apartment to her bedroom closet. Her clothes were gone. I got through the day somehow in a daze. But the next day, when I went out to get the Sunday paper and returned to the apartment, there she was, unpacking.
4: I changed my mind.
6: Let's have a drink. Want to tell me?
4: There's not much to tell. He told me he has a wife, three children in Connecticut, that she won't let him go. So he couldn't marry me
6: marry you? You You want to get
5: married? (laughs) Is that all? You want to get married?
6: (laughs) Will you marry me? Yes. Once again. Like two sensible moderns, we adjusted to marriage. We seemed to be making a go of it. Until I lost my job and the cutbacks of government contracts. We subleased the apartment, moved to the cottage to make the rounds of electronic firms on Long Island. I sat there on the porch, waiting once again looking up and down the beach. And suddenly I saw a flashlight about a hundred yards down the beach. It moved around, but it did not advance. And then it went out. I listened. The crunch of footsteps on gravel carried by the wind grew louder. I could make out the silhouettes of a man and a fishing rod on his shoulder. He was alone, hugging the waterline. As he came abreast, I called out, Uh... Hey, Locke? It was Professor Mowry of the State University Marine Laboratory at nearby Flax Pond. Oh, not a thing. I was hoping to pick up a striper. Line got snarled in the reel, too tangled to bother with tonight. Well, I'm just having a nightcap. You, did you join me, Professor? <laughs> I, yeah, I could stand one short one.
2: I'm getting a bit nippy.
6: We talked. He sipped his whiskey. I don't know how many I had. He talked about projects at the Marine Lab, the need for more state funds for research on wetlands, water pollution, erosion. He knew I was trying to get relocated, had given me a letter to an executive at the Grumman plant. Hear anything from Grumman? No, not a thing. I've about exhausted the job possibilities on Long Island I spent yesterday and today in New England. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for the drink. I'm sure the job market will open up. Uh, say hello to Mrs. Drake. Thanks again. Uh, uh, Dr. Malry. Yes? Would you do me a favor? Favor? Well, you're a friend of Emory, Richard Emory. I know you know him. But are you a friend of his? Well, he's one of several new young chaps doing post-doctorate work at the Marine Lab. It's a small group, and we're all more or less friendly. I mean, will he listen to you as a friend? Listen? Yes. Tell him to stay away from my wife. Well, Emery? Your wife? That's right. Don't ask me how I know. Little things, I know. I I, I come home tonight. She's not home. I know. Well, uh, it's... uh rather personal matter. I don't feel I have the right to meddle in the personal affairs of a faculty member. If he doesn't, I'll kill him. Now, Drake, don't talk like that. Sensible people don't solve such problems like that. That's what I always thought, but now I... Look, Drake, if you don't mind my giving you some advice, why don't you just get a divorce or separation? You just tell Emery to stay away from her. You must tell her, Mallory. You must. I don't want to kill her, but I'm afraid. There'll be a breaking point. You tell him, Mallory, tell him. If you don't, you'll share the responsibility. Now, Tom, Tom, you're overwrought. You'll feel better in the morning. All right, I'll I'll talk to Emory. Thanks. Good night, Tom. Picked up the bottle. It still had about one drink in it. I walked down to the water line. I swallowed what was left in the bottle. And with swelling anger, I flung it into the waves. I turned back towards the cottage and stopped. I saw a flashlight down the beach. I could make out two persons walking towards me and then the light was out and silhouetted against the night sky. Two forms embraced as one. And then carried by the wind rising out of the northeast, I heard the teasing laughter of Marianne. (laughs) Well, there may be laughter in the wind, but for poor Tom, this is no time for levity, wonder whether he knows that it's an ill wind and will blow him no good. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. Great taste in the morning. Kellogg's Kellogg's has that
3: wholesome taste to get you up and running. This is Jerry Coffer for Kellogg's Special K. You know, for years we've been talking about the Special K breakfast, a great way to start the day if you have a weight problem. You may have seen or heard our latest commercials, which symbolize the problem of being a few pounds overweight by using this (coughs) ball and chain. That's the sound effect. But so many people have come to know the Special K breakfast that can help solve weight problems. They sometimes forget that Special K is America's favorite high-protein cereal. It has eight essential vitamins and iron, and so delicious that lots of folks, kids as well as adults, eat Special K just for the sheer good taste of it. So, we don't want you to think that you have to wear a <clears throat> ball and chain to eat Special K. All you need is an appreciation for the finer things of life, a one ounce bowl of Special K, four ounces of skim milk, tomato juice, coffee, and maybe a little sugar. The Special K breakfast can help you lose weight all by itself, but it really is a good start.
1: Who knows how to help you solve
5: your shopping problems? the Business
2: Bureau knows. Wednesday, 10 o'clock. I'm back at the office working on the case when my secretary brings me the mail. Thanks, kid. (coughs) The usual stuff. Then I see it. It's addressed to me, resident. Inside, a fake rabbit's foot. The pitch, a $2 donation or send back the rabbit's foot. My problem, what to do about it.
6: I'll help you with good advice from the Better Business Bureau. Oh, yeah? Spill it.
1: If you receive unordered merchandise in the mail, you are under no obligation to return it or pay for it.
2: Thanks, pal. You're okay.
1: Just another consumer tip from your Better Business Bureau.
6: A fella to do. Poor Tom Drake is in the dark and all at sea, wondering where he ought to be or not to be. But let's not blow the man down. Just lend me your ears and we'll listen. Their embrace in the dark was brief, and they started walking towards the cottage without using the flashlight. For a split second, I thought of walking towards them for a showdown. But Mallory's promise to talk to Emery made me put aside the impulse. I ducked behind a line of boulders that formed a breakwater above a high water line. They stopped in front of the cottage. From behind the boulders, I watched and listened.
4: Oh, that was a good hike. Yeah.
6: Let's go inside.
4: Oh, let's sit out here for a while. It's such a beautiful night. I'd like a cigarette. Okay. He sat down beside her.
6: Struck a match. Cupped it in his hands and held it to the cigarette in her lips. In the glow from the match flame. Her face flushed. Her eyes, dreamy with desire. I knew I would never give her up. I'm going out to Montauk next week. It's a long Monday holiday weekend. How about coming with me?
4: Mm, I'd love to, but... I'll have to figure out some excuse to be away.
6: Figure out? <laughs> well, that shouldn't be any problem. You're pretty clever about such things.
4: I'll think of something.
6: I couldn't help thinking she was pretty clever about such things. Like the night she went to that very clever Harrison leading her on. I'd never forget that Friday night. And now
3: another Friday night. Come on, let's go inside. You said he won't be back tonight.
5: Oh, relax, Richard. You mean
3: to tell me you prefer this cold gravel to a nice, comfortable couch? Come on, Marianne.
4: Oh. What's wrong with staying out here? Oh, Mark, I am content with a... a jug of wine, a loaf of bread beneath a bow. Oh, not bad, (laughs) not bad. (laughs)
6: <laughs> the laughter broke off suddenly. I saw the blowing tips of two flip cigarettes. And then...
5: Kiss me, Richard. I'm crazy about uh, you. Uh... Stop it!
4: Stop it! Tom, what who... Are you...
6: Marianne, go inside. Go inside, I tell you. Now, wait a Why?
4: minute. Why? If you have anything to say, you can say it here in front of Richard. Go inside. Let go of my
6: arm. Now, listen, my... you leave her alone. Let go of her. <laughs> he broke my grip on her arm and pushed me away. No. This shove made me slip to my knee. I came up swinging at his face. I missed. He pinned my arms from behind. I listen. What's the matter with you? Are you crazy?
5: <laughs>
6: I broke out of his grip, stepped back from him, and fell across the shovel. I grabbed the handle, jumped up. No! No! And swung at Emery. I... Too late for me to stop the swing. No! As she rushed in between us, the sharp edge of the shovel hit her in the back of the head. Oh! I stood there Holding the shovel Unable to move My eyes fixed on her face As Emery knelt down over her with the flashlight I watched her face And prayed Prayed she wouldn't die I trembled with fear and anguish Telling myself this couldn't be It was a nightmare Emery turned the flashlight on me Studied my trembling lips, my glazed eyes fixed on Marianne. She's she's dead. I heard him, but didn't answer. I couldn't take my eyes off her. Uh, Drake, did you hear what I said? She's dead. When you killed her. You better go in the house and call the police. I looked at him, him. puzzled. My mind, my eyes, my memory, playing tricks on me, wondering who he was. Harrison? Jack Harrison? Mocking me the night he took her to the movie, telling me
3: we'll be back. What's the matter with you, Drake? Don't you hear me? Call the police.
1: I'll I'll, I'll tell them. I'll I'll say it was an accident. She tried to...
3: I don't think you've heard a word I said. I'll call the police
6: myself. Where are you going, Harrison? Call the... Who's Harrison? I'm Emery. Richard Emery.
5: Drake. I'll be right back.
6: Don't turn your back on me. What? He looked back as I swung the shovel. His mouth open. His eyes unbelieving. He went down. I hit him again. He was still lying on his face. I staggered, gasping for air, my head pounding, thousands of pinpoints of light exploding inside my head. I sank down on the steps of the porch, holding my head in my hands, trying to clear my head, groping to recall, understand what had happened to me, to them. Slowly, the horror of it all returned. Marianne was dead. I turned the other body face up. It was not Harrison. It was Emery. I don't know how long I sat there on the porch steps. Finally, I faced it. I decided to try to get rid of the bodies. Bury them temporarily in the gravel berm. I'd have to get a small boat That rowboat In the woods just above the flood water line Stored by one of these summer residents I'd row the bodies out to the channel Weight them Drop them overboard on an outgoing tide The strong current on the bottom of the channel Would move them out to the sea The loose gravel was only about three feet deep It would be deep enough to hide them I dragged the bodies over, laid them end to end, covered them, building up the gravel mound to the same height of the burn that ran parallel to the water level. I inspected the shovel. The metal glistened clean, no sign of blood or hair. I stood it against the porch rail, went inside. I sprawled out on the bed, exhausted and fell into a heavy, dreamless sleep. I woke up the next morning about an hour after sunrise. My mind clear. Instantly aware of what had happened, what I had done. I jumped off the bed, went to the porch door, looked at the gravel graves on the burn. It looked natural peaceful. Like a cemetery. I knew what I had to do. I put on the coffee, showered, changed my clothes. Became aware that her clothes were still hanging in the closet. I got the old note she had left me on that weekend with Harrison. Read it over and over as I had my coffee on the kitchen counter. I turned on the radio for the weather. The
4: Bureau reports Hurricane Gilda moving past Cape Hatteras. I placed the
6: note on the counter. Carefully spilled a spoonful of coffee on the counter, wetting a large corner of the paper, and then blotted it with a paper towel. I knew I'd have to keep checking the weather. But first, get rid of her clothes. I put them in a large plastic garbage bag. I knew I'd have to stay close to the cottage until I got rid of the bodies. Lay in a supply of food, so I drove to the supermarket... Put the clothes into the collection bin of the Salvation Army on the parking lot. I did my shopping and was back in less than an hour. I went up to where the rowboat was on the bank of trees. It looked all right. Aluminum, light enough to drag. The oars were in it and burlap fish bags, strong enough to hold the rocks I'd use for weights. I'd have to wait until dark to move the bodies. In the meantime, I could move the boat. It was a couple of hundred yards. I placed the boat on top of the grave. By nightfall, the Coast Guard was sending out small craft warnings, and all through the night, I was glued to the radio for weather checks, feeling trapped Helpless to do what I had planned. I finally fell asleep on the couch. I was awakened by the Sunday morning church music and a loud knocking on the porch door. I didn't recognize the voice. I hesitated. The knocking stopped. I heard him walk down the porch steps. I put on my shoes, went to the door sitting on the edge of the transom of the boat his back to me smoking a cigarette, fishing pole across his knees it was Mallory, he turned didn't wake you, did I? I heard the radio and I thought I'd stop by uh, feel alright? okay now, but uh, yesterday what a head all day, how about some coffee? oh thanks, but I've got to get back to the lab I didn't know you had a boat. Oh, it's not mine. Along to the Johnsons, I uh, saw a couple of kids dragging it out to the 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 uh, patch of trees up there. They ran when I started towards them, thought I'd better keep it here for them. I ah, guess it's safe enough here, unless we get that hurricane. I'd pull it up on higher ground if the weather gets worse and Gilder doesn't move out to sea. Well, glad to see you feeling better. Oh, uh, Dr. Mowry, did, uh... Did you get a chance to talk to Emory? Uh, no. Matter of fact, I haven't seen him. I stopped by his room Friday night after I left you. He wasn't in. I left a note to call me. I didn't hear from him all day Saturday. He wasn't in Saturday night. Not in his room this morning, either. It's not like him to go off without a word. Hmm. I've been uh, thinking over, Doctor Mallory. It's—it's uh, no use talking, to Emory. I—I I can't keep it tied to me. She's left me. Oh, did she? I'm sorry. Eh, perhaps for the best. Well, she didn't get home for Friday night. And let me know. It. I found her in the kitchen Saturday morning. Is she leaving you for Emory? She didn't say. Oh, I see. Uh huh. Well, I'm sorry, Drake. I
5: really
6: am. Sunday night, I was still trapped by the weather. It got worse through the night, but the weather report said that still was a 50-50 chance that the hurricane would bypass Long Island. About noon the next day, the wind died down. I stood there by the rowboat, wondering whether I should take the chance in broad daylight. Long Island Sound was still, calm as a lake. I heard a helicopter coming across Crane Neck. Routine patrol of the shore. I could read Suffolk Police. And then Dr. Mowry coming down the beach towards me. I stood there waiting for him. Well, I'm glad I find you home, Drake. Oh, I've just uh, been answering more job ads. Yeah, have you heard from Mrs. Drake, a letter, perhaps a phone call? uh... Why, no, I I haven't. Well, I'm getting really concerned about Emery. No one at the lab has seen him or heard from him for three days. Uh, This morning, I... I looked through his room. His clothes, his suitcases were there. I can't understand, I... Uh, I I was hoping if you'd heard from Mrs. Drake and knew where she was, I'd ask her if she had any idea about where Emery might be. Well, I do have her mother's phone number in Ohio and uh, her sister's in Connecticut. If you don't mind. Do you want to call from here? Uh, Thanks, but I'm on my way to the village hall to see Police Chief Raymond. I stood there watching him make his way along the beach to the village hall at the old Field Lighthouse, wondering just what he'd tell Chief Raymond. Well, you know what they say. The path of gory murder leads but to the grave. What do you suppose will happen to Tom Drake? Will he be like that comedian who murdered people with stolen jokes and was hanged
3: by his wits' end? I'll be back shortly with act 3.
4: Hi, Miss Goldilocks here. Professionally taste-testing diet drinks can be very difficult, but I've just had to bear with it. Then I found Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up. It doesn't taste like other diet drinks. It's fresh, light, natural, delicious. Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up tastes so good that I've taste-tested it hundreds of times, and each time I've given it my seal of approval. Yes, this one's just right. You finally made your gift list. Your neighbor's child is two, your niece is six, and nephew is seven. But before you go to the toy store, there's something else you should do. Write Toys, Washington, D.C., 20207 for a free booklet on toy safety. That's Toys, Washington, D.C., 20207. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission.
3: Sometimes a gentle rain in one place adds up to a raging torrent in another. A torrent that can uproot lives as well as trees. To remedy the things that can be remedied in a disaster, America has a unique emergency force, the American Red Cross, America's good neighbor. Red Cross is on call 24 hours a day, every day, to cope with emergencies, whether they're on the next block or a continent away. Most of the help that's given is from volunteers. The money's from volunteers, too. Volunteers like you. If you need help, join us. If you can give help, join us. The American Red Cross. Help us help people just like you.
6: of most policemen is not a happy one. Wonder how police chief Raymond will receive Professor Mallory. Will he use the right bait and make a haul? Or lose hook, line, and sinker?
3: Let's follow our troubled professor and find out.
6: What's this all about? Emma
3: said to tell me it was urgent. Well, I mean, it's not a matter of life or death, is it? I hope not. Ooh.
6: You sound like you're not so sure. I'm not, but I am getting worried. Somebody been uh, stealing typewriters and lab equipment again? No, oh, no, 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 Chief. I... Well, this may sound odd, but a member of the lab faculty is uh, seems to be missing. Oh? That's, uh, what do you mean, missing?
3: No one's seen him since Friday afternoon. Well, this is only Monday. Yes, yes, but...
6: He was not in his room Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. He didn't show up in the lab today. Now, what about his weekends? Did he have them free? Well, sometimes, when scheduled. He was not scheduled to be off this weekend.
5: Uh-huh.
6: The chap he rooms with, Garrison, says he saw Emery Friday noon. Well, Garrison was off this past weekend. He got back Sunday night. I saw Garrison this morning. He wasn't surprised or upset over the fact that Emery hadn't spent the night in his room. Mm-hmm. It, uh, wasn't the first time. Do you know that cottage the Drake's rented? Yes, I do. It belongs to Howard's. was that, that the one? What about it? Well, last Friday night, I was out casting along the beach. On my way back to the lab, Drake invited me to stop for a nightcap on the porch... He'd already had quite a few. I had one drink with him, and he asked me, was I a friend of Emery's? And he asked me, the way he put it, would I do him a favor?
5: Mm Mm-hmm. Go on, go on.
6: What he wanted me
3: to do was for me to tell Emery to stay away from his wife.
6: Now, did he explain that? He mean Emery was annoying his wife, or did he mean they were having an affair? Well, my first impression was that it was more or less a dalliance.
3: (laughs) Well, that's kind of par for the course in this university town, you know. Yes,
6: perhaps, but i I told him I'd prefer not to get involved in personal affairs of faculty members. What did he say? He said if Emery didn't stay away, he'd kill him. His exact words. Uh-huh. Of course, he was very drunk when he said it. I told Drake to calm him down, that I had talked to Emory. Yes,
3: I see. Well, now, what about Mrs. Drake? Was there anything said to indicate whether she was inside the cottage while Drake was blowing his top this way to you?
6: No, no. There were no lights on inside. As a matter of fact, Drake made it clear that she was not home. He implied, without mentioning Emory by name... That she was out somewhere with him. Well, in that case, she could have some idea about where he might be, hmm? uh, that occurred to me. I, I went back there yesterday morning with that in mind. And did she? She wasn't there. Drake told me she'd left him. He said she didn't come home at all Friday night. He said he found a note from her in the kitchen Saturday morning. Well, that's quite a coincidence, to say the least. Did the note say she'd uh, gone away with Emery? Well, Drake didn't show me the note, but as much as said, there was no mention of Emery. Have you been to the cottage since yesterday? I stopped there on my way here. Drake says he hasn't heard a word from her. No mail, no phone call. But I asked him, would she perhaps have gone to her parents' home, to a relative? He gave me... These phone numbers. Oh, yes. Let me see that. Ohio and Connecticut. You
3: think we ought
6: to call them? No. No. I'll drop in on Drake. I'd rather he made the call. You see, if we can't locate Mrs. Drake and you don't hear from Emory, that leaves us with two missing persons. We'll put out in all points teletype alarm, full descriptions and photos. I'll keep you posted, Mallory. (laughs) come to the point, Drake. Mallory, Professor Mallory up at the Marine Lab, you know, came to see me. And he's a bit worried about the absence of a faculty member, one Richard Emery. There's no use being delicate about this, Drake. From what he told me, it does look like Emery and your wife ran off together, doesn't it? Yes, uh, it sure looks like it. Uh, Do you mind if I see that note she left you? Oh, no, not at all. It's on the kitchen counter where I found it. We went into the kitchen. He picked up the note, studied it carefully, looked at the back of the paper, felt the coffee stain.
3: Ah. Uh, when did you uh
6: discover this note? Uh, Saturday morning. Well, that stain, some coffee spilled from my cup as I was reading it. Oh, I see, I see. You, you mind if I uh, look around? Oh, go right ahead. I followed him into the bedroom. He looked through her dresser, the closet, the night
3: table. Well, her clothes are gone all right. I was looking for a letter she might have received from a friend or relative, you know, inviting her for a visit for a few days or a week. I mean, uh, did she mention such an invitation to you? No.
6: Well, if she did get such a letter, she could have taken it with her. I mean, have you called her parents or her sister? Well, frankly, no, uh... I was hoping I wouldn't have to do that, that uh, when she'd come back, uh, or write her phone. Or... Well, if they don't turn up in a week or two, we might perhaps go on the assumption that they're dead. You see? And start a search for their bodies. T- 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 <laughs> well, are y- are y- you don't think... Uh... Well, look, Chief, I was drunk when I, I told you. Oh, that no, I... no, no, no. I don't think you killed them. Of course not. What would you do with the bodies? Uh, Bury them out there? Let's not get morbid about this. You don't think I'm going to call out the tractors to scrape down the gravel, do you? Oh, by the way, how long are you planning to stay on here? A couple of weeks. All right, fine.
3: Well, now keep in touch. I'll call you if anything develops. Phone me if you get a letter or a call from your wife. I followed him
6: out. He looked at the rowboat studied the sky. You know, I'd pull that little boat up higher beyond that low ground back of the house. I wouldn't be surprised if we get some of Hurricane Gilda before night's over. Better keep the radio set on the Coast Guard reports. I watched him go down the footpath across the low ground behind the cottage and then uphill to where his car was parked, top of the bluff. It was not till he was out of sight that I stopped sweating. <laughs> Stayed calm, windless. An oppressive silence hanging over the water and the land. The sky was sunless, gray. Not a cloud in sight. I'd heard of the calm before the storm, but I'd never seen it. I filled the kerosene lanterns. Got candles ready.
4: Gale warning, Cape May to Block Island. High tide three to four feet above normal was flooding along lowlands.
6: By late afternoon brought up and down the sound, white caps galloped shoreward from as far as the eye could see. Treetops swayed and twisted in the whistling wind. The waves crashed higher on the shore. It started to rain hard. Windswept sheets of water lashed the roof shingled siding. The lights went off. I lit the lanterns and candles.
4: Winds, 50 to 60 knots. Residents alerted to evacuate low-lying shore areas. The door banged open, and the wind picked up the rowboat, sent it
6: rolling side over side across the low ground behind the house. I stood with a lantern on the gravel burn, watching the waves inching closer, lapping the foot of the gravel mound loosening gravel in the backwash. And then I heard the phone ringing. I went to it, picked it up, still watching through the open door, the waves breaking over the gravel. Uh,
5: hello? Hello, hello, Drake, this is Police Chief Raymond. What the hell are you still doing out there? Didn't you hear the evacuation alert? Oh, the the, the...
6: the phone fell out of my hand. I saw waves crashing over the grave and ran out. Drake, you listen to me carefully. This minute. Reach in the shore about a quarter mile down the beach, get the hell out of there. You'll be cut off, you hear me? Be there. Hello! Hello! I mustn't get that idiot. Well, better get going with the motorboat. I knew I had to keep shoveling on the gravel and sand. As fast as the waves washed it off. But for every shovelful I threw on the grave, the
3: waves washed off, too.
6: I lost track of time. I knew I had to keep at
5: it to keep the grave covered. Head
1: in close to the house, Mallory. Yeah.
5: What is he doing? No! No! You can't come back! Never, Huddersford! Get back! God
6: of
3: mercy, no. it's no. Well, I better get him over to the Riverhead Prison Hospital. The tide'll be going out in a little while.
5: Let's put this rope around the ankles and uh, secure it to the porch. Aller, you stay here the county police and the coroner get here. No. Dr. Henderson of the police lab gave me an envelope to get to
6: you. He said you wanted an analysis report in a hurry. That's right. What's it say? Read it to me. It says... The coffee stain is less than a week old.
5: The ink
6: is at least a year old. Uh, Well, thanks, Mallory. By the way, do me a favor, will you? Leave a note to Highway Superintendent Murphy in the state office building tell him I said uh, I won't be needing those tractors well imagine what do you think of that police chief isn't he the fishy character
3: anyhow we didn't have to scrape bottom I'll be back shortly
4: Hello, this is Goldilocks. It seemed like only yesterday that I was a little girl tasting porridge. You know, this one's too hot. This one's too cold. And now I conduct taste tests on diet drinks. And there's one I must tell you about. Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up. It has a fresh, natural, delicious taste. It drives my taste meter crazy. Sugar-Free Diet (gasps) 7-Up. This one's just right.
3: Answer on, I'm building a kite out of tissue paper and it's beginning to rain. What do I need?
1: Umbrella or plastic kite.
4: Answer on, how many children are born with birth defects?
1: 250,000 a year in the United States.
4: What's being done?
1: The March of Dimes supports research, medical service, and public education programs.
4: How can I help? Answer on?
1: Like me, the March of Dimes needs money for answers. Give to the March of Dimes.
6: Still in a dilemma? We hope you never have to face it. We can offer some advice, though. When you are uptight about any matter, nothing like settling down at your radio and
3: letting the cares of the day slip away as your mind and ears carry you off on a relaxing journey of mystery adventure. Our cast included Ralph Bell, Patricia Wheel, Robert Dryden, and William Redfield. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman
6: Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale.
4: No, I want I want to know. Uh, you know I'm afraid he had the head impaled on a pike and left to wither on the battlements. The body, of course, was interred. Oh my god. Oh. Nasty types they were in those days. How old was she? Oh, see, I think I remember. Oh, yes, 24. Just my age. (laughs) So young to die and be buried forever. well, the legend is, of course, that she hasn't been. You mean she... she haunts? Oh, rather. She was quite a horsewoman, history tells us. And any night... Particularly when the moon is full, she rides the grounds, searching for her lost head.
6: Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by New Sugar-Free Diet 7-Up.
3: This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return
6: to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. (laughs)
1: This is it.